This is the Stockton San Joaquin County Public Library. Learning another language has never been easier. Rosetta Stone has 30 different languages to choose from. Visit ssjcpl.org and start learning today. Hi, and welcome back to Dark Fascinations, the podcast that talks about fiction books and the true crimes that inspired these fiction books. I am Brianna, and with me, as always, is Jody. And this month, uh, for Native American Heritage Month, we read a book called Winter Count. I am going to massacre this name, and I apologize. The author is David Heska Wandley Wyden. I'm sure that's not how you say it, so I apologize in advance. <laughs> but that is the pronunciation <laughs> we're going with. Uh, <laughs> but this book, we both really enjoyed this book. Just to kind of give you a smidge of summary before we go into the true crime slash true stories that it is based on, uh, is a Indigenous noir, which has seen like a big rise in Indigenous noir and Indigenous horror books with Stephen Graham Jones, among other writers that are writing in the similar genre. Um, but it is about a man named Virgil, who is I mean, he is described as a hired thug. He doesn't really like to think of himself like that, but he's basically like a vigilante, like he's hired justice for people who feel like the federal government or tribal law is not giving them the justice they think they deserve. And so he is hired by a tribal councilman named Ben Shortbear to find Rick Crow, who they believe is bringing in heroin into the reservation and selling it to teenagers. Um, and his nephew Nathan gets a hold of some of this heroin and almost ODs and that kind of like really prompts Virgil into looking for Rick Crow because at first he wasn't going to take it um but after Nathan that really prompts him into trying to find Rick Crow and trying to find like who is bringing this heroin onto the reservation that's just the bare bones basic of what the kind of the story is about so Jody, would you like to go into the true crime aspect of Winter Count? Sure. It's based off of the Major Crimes Act of 1885, which basically requires um, the Native nations to refer prosecution of felony major crimes to the federal government. So not the states, not the tribes, as long as it was committed by Native Americans on um, Native lands. So major crimes being um, murder, you know, assault, rape, kidnapping, etc. But a lot of the federal agencies declined to prosecute a large number of these cases, which leaves the offenders free to offend again, um, which then, you know, there's severe friction between the Native nations and the federal law enforcement. And then so naturally families of victims want justice, so they hire these private enforcers like Virgil to, in you know, exact some street justice for a price. Like in the book, you'll see he charges, you know, $100 per tooth, $100 per broken bone, um, etc. The Justice Department estimates, estimates that one in three Native women have experienced rape or attempted rape, and on some reservations, Native women are 10 times more likely to be murdered than the national average. And again, this all goes back to, you know, defenders not being prosecuted and just being, you know, loose. Another issue with that is, is if they do prosecute things, like say there was a bar fight 
and they got charged with assault. If the federal government does prosecute, they are much more punitive, so they could end up with five years in federal prison versus, you know, six months in jail and then probation. Um, so again, lots of tension between the Native nations and the federal government. This all started with the murder of Spotted Tail, a Lakota chief, and then the law was passed by the Congress in 1885 as the final section of the Indian Appropriations Act. Um, and ever since then, there's been numerous court cases um, challenging the constitutionality of it, um, even as recently as this summer. It's just a very broad overview. There's a lot to it, a lot of nuances. Um, if you're interested in it, you can do all your own research. Like I said, there's a million can... cases you can yeah. look at. And I, Brianna, I think, has one. That was a big one. If you want, I don't know if you want to talk about the Wounded Knee one. Yeah, and we can link all of our findings, too, in the comments so that you can kind of, kind of give you a starting off point to your own research. But um, basically... The Black Hills, where the book takes place in um, South Dakota, are sacred to the Lakota people. And the Lakota people didn't want mining to happen there at all. So between 1866 and 1868, the U.S. Army fought the Lakota and their allies so that they could build forts to protect the miners and also so they can like make manifest destiny happen so people could travel <laughs> from the East Coast to the West Coast for gold. And then... They, uh, the Lakota chief, Fred Cloud, led his people to victory to kind of stop that from happening because this is sacred land to them. And then in 1868, the United States signed the Fort Laramie Treaty of 1868, which exempted um, the Black Hills from white settlement for perpetuity until they found gold there four years later and then sent the army in to attack the Lakota tribe so that they could take it back, basically. And this is where, you know, Custer's last stand and, and all of that happened. And Custer encouraged his troops to kill all of the buffalo, which does play a major role in the book as well, to destroy the indigenous people's way of life and their livelihood. And so basically, all of this is leading up to big, bat well, it's not really, you can't call it a battle. It's more of a massacre in 1890, which plays a big part in the book later called Wounded Knee, where the U.S. Army basically slaughtered numerous women, children, and men and buried them in mass graves at Wounded Knee. So there's, like Jody said, there is so much history to go into. It just wouldn't, <laughs> it would be here take all day. the entire <laughs> podcast and more and probably more. Yeah. Uh, for us to try, <laughs> to try and discuss all of these things and everything that goes into it and we can kind of, and we'll continue to discuss a little bit of historical factors as we go through the book winter counts um because winter counts does have for a fiction it has a lot of nonfiction elements in relation to the lakota tribe the author himself wrote a middle grade not a biography of spotted tail to give yourself a little bit more background but now we will go ahead and get into winter counts which I guess first we should kind of talk about uh, why it's called Winter Counts, because it is for a reason. Um, it is the Lakota's calendar method. They put things on the calendar, major events, and that's how they keep track of days and years. And Virgil and his sister, Sybil, have a Winter Counts calendar, um, kind of, of when their mom died, and then when all of these birds disappeared as well. And those two kind of 
track together. So that's why the book is called Winter Count, because uh, it's just really important dates that are important to the people in, in the story. But like we said, the story starts with Virgil, and he is a hired vigilante. Uh, he was extremely bullied in school for being half half Native American, half white. And he was like a little guy. So he kind of really has taken that to heart in his adulthood. And he's become like a really big, buff, tough guy. And I think he's had a lot of trauma in his past as well. Like his, his all pretty much his entire family died. He only has Nathan. That's like his last family member. His sister had passed away in a car accident. He was really, really close to his sister. And they had a really tough life growing up on the reservation and it continues to be tough. Like Jody was saying like what he charges for all of his um, jobs. And he, in the book, he says he only can make sometimes $5,000 a year, which is incredible that anybody could, yeah, anybody (laughs) could withstand having like living on $5,000 a year. He says that he doesn't charge sometimes either. No, for his, his work, so he doesn't mm-hmm. even always make money. No, because some of the cases that he takes are are really, really heartbreaking and really sad. There was one; it's later in the book, but there was one where it was this mom and the grandma called because they couldn't find the grandchild, and she hadn't heard from them in a while, and she wanted him to do like a welfare check because nobody would do a welfare check. And the mom was um, passed out in the bedroom and the, the little kid had frozen to death in the car outside. So it's like he take and he takes on some really terrible cases like that. And then he takes on a lot of uh, vigilante type cases. Like the first case that we see him take, I cannot remember anybody's name to save my life, but he is actually really important to the story. But his name is um, Gov, I think Gov. Gov. Thank you, Jody. Um, but that's one of the first cases we see in the beginning of the book. Uh, and Gov has been accused of molesting kids at the high school. He works as like a high school law officer type deal, but not not actually like police, but like security, I guess. And he's been accused of molesting um, many students, both men, boys, boys and girls at this school. And one of the parents has hired Virgil to basically beat Gov down to get him to stop. And he does, which kind of starts a chain reaction of things that we'll see. But yeah, so he does that. And then Ben Shortbear wants to hire Virgil to find this man named Rick Crow because they think that Rick Crow is bringing hard drugs onto the reservation and causing a lot of overdose deaths in the local teens. And at first, Virgil doesn't want to do it. He also has quite a history with the Short Bear family. He used to date um, Ben's daughter, Marie, and they had a pretty acrimonious breakup uh, because Virgil dealt with a lot of his grief over his sister and his family traumas uh, through alcohol to kind of try and like self-medicate, but also forget exactly what had happened especially to his sister because he was so close to her and that was the major cause of breakups between Virgil and Marie that was kind of like the last straw for Marie so he has a lot of history with the short bear family um and I think that perhaps does play 
a part into why he doesn't want to take the case at first. He also doesn't want to be involved in that type of way. And he hates Rick Crow because Rick Crow was one of his big bullies in high school. Uh, so he just doesn't really want any part of it. But he's kind of forced to be a part of it. Um, his nephew, Nathan, uh, Virgil is his sole guardian. And he Nathan's 14. And he gets some um, this heroin at school. And Virgil comes home. And, and Nathan has overdosed. And... Thankfully, Nathan ends up being okay. He survives, but it terrifies Virgil, and he is now okay with trying to hunt down Rick Crow and stop this from happening to anybody else. Uh, enter Marie Shortbear, because uh, every it's it's really fascinating, and I mean, it seems like at least this particular reservation is fairly like insulated and and small because like everybody is so intertwined with one another but like from generations back like all of these people are so entwined but so Marie used to date Rick Crow as kind of like a rebound after she and Virgil broke up and she wants to find Rick Crow as well to kind of get closure yeah (laughs) speak her mind get closure about their their breakup and what happened with them And she basically tells Virgil, like, he doesn't have a choice that she's coming with him to find Rick Crow, whether he likes it or not. Because he needs Um, her help because she knows where he is. Yes. Or where he might be. mm -hmm, All of his, I guess, his, like, normal places because he's in Denver. And that's where they think that the hard drugs are coming from is from Denver. And then they're bringing them into the reservation. And so after Nathan gets out of the hospital, um, Virgil sends, he obviously doesn't feel like one that Nathan should be by himself, but also he doesn't quite trust him that he can because he, he really wants to believe Nathan, but Nathan tells Virgil that he, these guys on the high school campus gave him these drugs for free. And Nathan has also been having a really tough time in school. He's lost his best friend. Uh, his best friend is like now into sports, so he doesn't really have anybody uh, that kind of matches his interests. And he's also half indigenous, half white. So he's getting bullied as well at school and he feels really lost. He also is intensely still mourning the death of his mother and being very afraid that he's forgetting her to the point where he thinks about her every night before he goes to sleep just to try and make sure that he keeps the memories that he has of her. So he's really going through it. And Virgil doesn't want him to be alone. So he sends him to his aunt Audrey's house. And Audrey's like, what, 80 or 90? In her 80s, yeah. She's 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 older. And so he sends Virgil there while he, well, he sent, Virgil sends Nathan there while Virgil and Marie go to Denver to find Rick Crow, uh, which seems like a very long drive, but they do. <laughs> <laughs> Let's point out, too, that Virgil felt weird about, like, the whole thing when Ben Shortbear was talking to him about it and said it didn't feel right. The whole thing felt shady, the whole conversation, mm-hmm. the whole everything, and he offered him a lot of money, 
And mm-hmm. for someone who doesn't have any money, he still didn't want to do it because he felt he had a bad feeling about the whole thing. And then he turned him down. And then like right away is when suddenly Nathan tries heroin. Yes. Suddenly out of nowhere. So Which you keep that in mind because <laughs> it is foreshadowing. Yes, uh, very much so. But yeah, do keep that in mind. But no, he doesn't want to take it. And I guess we should also say that um, Virgil doesn't really feel very connected to his indigenous heritage. And I think a lot of it does have to do with the traumas and all the deaths that he experienced of his family members. Because um, he, his mom really practiced a lot of their traditions and their heritage and was trying to pass it on to his sister and himself. And after his mom died, I think he just kind of like lost all faith in all things and decided, you know, if, you know, if this, if these traditions aren't going to work and he would use these traditions to pray that his mom would get better and she didn't, he's like, well, obviously it doesn't work. So I'm just going to do things my own way. And his way is with his fist because it's a definitive answer. So he's kind of grown separate from his heritage and, and the traditions of his childhood. Uh, and also from his community as well, because they talk a lot. Like he has one friend named Tommy, and they talk a lot about Virgil's not being able to go anywhere without getting into a fight with somebody. Like no matter what they're doing, <laughs> um, he does have it a just, bit of a temper. He does, yeah. and it kind of just shows this disconnect, which is so it's it's fascinating because it like comes back together in the end. But there's definitely a disconnect in the beginning. Uh, And Marie is much more connected to the Lakota traditions and things passed down from generation to generation. Like her dream is to be a well in the beginning, at least to be a doctor so that she can help the Lakota people through medicine, school type based medicine and Lakota traditional medicine type of deal. Well, um, I think he's really traumatized from when he did try to do the Lakota way and went on that three day isolated prayer thing for when his dad mm-hmm. was dying. Yeah. And when he got home, his dad was already dead. And so he was just traumatized because he was out there starving to death and doing it this way. And then he didn't even get to say goodbye. And I mm-hmm. think that's when he's just like look what I missed out on and it didn't yeah. even work. So I'm just, it's hard. I'm going to be done. Mm-hmm. Well, and he continually says like the Lakota way is to forgive your enemies and to, you know, kind of bring peace into everybody's heart and not necessarily be friends, but not be complete adversaries. And Virgil obviously he has, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of generational trauma going on, but there's a lot going on for him where he feels like he can't do that. He, you know, his whole, like his whole livelihood, like the whole person that he's built for himself to kind of protect himself and put this hard shell around himself is violence. And that's like his whole, that he feels like that's his whole persona as he is this hired thug. And that's what he has to do. So obviously that's completely contrary to the beliefs of the Lakota. So he feels like this is what's working for him. This violence is what's working for him. So he's going to completely disregard what doesn't work for him. 
so he because their fo- their focus is the community as a whole yeah and keeping the peace and doing what's best for the community as a whole even if that means forgiving someone's crime whereas his mm-hmm. whole focus is Nathan yeah at this point. absolutely I mean that is his last family <laughs> and he promised his sister that he will protect him um, and he feels like he really let his sister down because he couldn't protect her, which was completely outside of his control and her car accident. But he feels like he let her down and he let his mom down and he let his dad down. And the last thing he wants to do is let Nathan get hurt and let him down as well. Because that's his last family member. And the way he's going to protect him is through vigilante violence. That, that is what he's built his whole life around is, you know, if he's big and tough and strong, nobody can mess with him type of deal. And so Marie and Virgil get to Denver and they're looking for Rick Crow and all of his usual haunts. And they go to this restaurant where they encounter an undercover cop named Dennis. And Dennis tells them that, well, after some fisticuffs, because they think that he's running after him out of this bar that they were just in that they weren't super welcome at. So he tells them that Rick Crow has been working with this gang called the Aztec Kings. And that's where they're bringing, they're bringing heroin from Denver into the reservation. And the Aztec Kings are trying to recruit in local indigenous people. So it's easier to bring the heroin into those reservations and it won't be like notice because these people aren't outsiders to this reservation so it'll be easier for them to to slip these drugs in and they're making a lot of money doing this and so Dennis is trying to get Virgil to agree to have Nathan be an informant and wear a wire and buy drugs from this group on school grounds so that they can prosecute and Virgil is not into this at all he he doesn't want Nathan involved at all. He doesn't like from the get go. He feels like it's fishy. Like he doesn't he doesn't want any part of it. He doesn't even <laughs> really believe that Dennis is like a cop at first. I didn't either. But, which I thought you Dennis, would. <laughs> I thought Dennis was super fishy too. I thought I he was too. like for a while I there. He, I thought he was the bad guy. <laughs> I did too. I thought he was like a part of these Aztec kings or something. That's what I thought. Um, I was like, oh, he's bad. That was like my first thing. Yeah, oh, it was really fishy. So, of course, Virgil is like, no thanks. I need to protect Nathan. Nathan, you know, is my life, my last family member. I'm not going to let him do this uh, at all. And Marie is kind of on the fence. She thinks that maybe Virgil should because, again, I think. Marie is thinking of the community as a whole and what would be best to protect the community as a whole. And Virgil is thinking of Nathan and protecting his community of him and Nathan. And he doesn't want that at all. But their hand gets forced, which again, keep this in mind, (laughs) foreshadowing. Uh, They get back to the reservation and they learn that Nathan's been arrested. They searched his locker at school and they found a bunch of pills in his locker, which is interesting because Nathan hasn't even been at school, but okay. Uh, So he's been in the woods with Aunt Audrey. (laughs) He has not been at school and he gets arrested. Uh, Virgil's friend Tommy calls and lets him know that he's been arrested with possession of these pills and intent to sell. 
And that is a federal crime. It's a felony charge. So it's outside of tribal law. So it has to go to the federal agents. And they will, they are going to prosecute. So Virgil is and like trying it, to take. Fa- it holds what? a bigger sentence too because it's on a school. Yes. So it's even worse. Yes. And because it's on a school and because there were so many pills, even though Nathan is only 14, he's at that age where they can try him as an adult if they choose to. And they choose to. So he could be going to federal prison for 10 years with other adults as a 14-year-old. So Virgil is kind of like, they like tipped his hand. And I mean, obviously, they don't have a lot of money to pay a lawyer. So here comes Hero, Ben Shortbear, who's like, hey, I found this lawyer. His name is Charlie, and he will help you and Nathan for free because he owes me a favor. And so, I mean, Virgil really does, like, he doesn't have anywhere else to turn. Like, there's really not much else that he can do. He can't afford a lawyer on his own. So he says, yeah. And Charlie, the lawyer, convinces Virgil that Nathan has to wear this wire. He has to be this CI, this confidential informant for the federal officers. And if he does that and buys these drugs on campus and wears this wire, they'll drop all the charges against him and he'll be okay. Um, And so Virgil goes against pretty much everything that his gut is telling him. And Nathan right now is in um, a juvenile detention facility and he basically convinces Nathan that, you know, he does need to wear this wire. He, he has to. Like, there's really no other option that they have uh, for him not to be prosecuted. And I think in these moments, too, it's so sad because you see how young Nathan actually is. Like, he's he's only 14 years old. And he he tries to act like he's super tough and grown up because I think Nathan thinks that that's what Virgil wants him to do. But in these moments, you see him cry and you see just how young he really is and how lost that he has become. And it's, yes, it's, it's really sad. sad. It's really sad. At this point, I'm still thinking Dennis is bad because I was like, oh, yes. how convenient. They tell Dennis no. And then suddenly Nathan's arrested mm-hmm. and, and going to Nathan, federal prison. So I was like, see, Dennis is bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was wrong. You know, it, it all tracks. Like, it's all making uh, sense at this point. Like, it is Dennis. It has to be Dennis. He's, you know, he has to have something to do with this. Even if he is, you know, actually a federal officer, maybe he's dirty. Who knows? Because what yeah. are the odds that after they say no, they don't want Nathan to be a confidential informant. Nathan gets arrested and is forced to be a CI. Well, I thought it was weird, too, because Dennis wouldn't show him his badge. No, he, gave him he just had a business like, card. A, a, yeah. Which I thought and was And they weird. asked for his badge. And, and he, he said, like, no, we only have these. Yeah. yeah, and we're like, who just, mm, who just okay. has a business card? <laughs> yeah. Dennis. Dennis. Thought you were bad, Dennis. Dennis. We were wrong. We were wrong. I mean, it's pretty, it's an explosive ending. I, I can't say I saw it coming. But I was like so enraptured in the story that perhaps I just had the blinders on. Now, in, oh, yeah. in hindsight, you can, you can see, see it. it. Yeah. But I did think the, in it. <laughs> I did think the bad guy or girl, won't give it away yet, uh, was shady. But I didn't think like this. No. Uh-uh. To this, yeah, no. To this evil. No. Me either. That was a but, good twist. Yeah. 
It was a good twist. So, I mean, basically their hands are tied. Nathan has to wear the wire. So they agree. And they get Nathan out of the juvenile detention center. And he gets sent back home. Uh, he goes back to school. And they, it takes, like, a while for them to set up the next thing. The uh, the other thing that I thought was super fishy, and I was like, ooh, Dennis, no, was <laughs> not only did Nathan have to wear a wire, but before he could even do that, he had to buy the drugs on his own without any police protection from these guys. And then after he did that, he wears the wire and buys more. I thought that was super fishy. It is fishy, but it was also like, I feel like they were being stupid too, because like everyone knew he got arrested for drugs. Then as soon as he gets out, he's going to start trying to buy drugs. I mean, it's more drugs. total, you know, cliche of, you know, what, a setup is it's like did they think everyone was dumb and not gonna know especially because especially because Nathan hadn't been doing drugs before you know no. he wasn't like a bad kid, troublemaker hanging out with those people before so it's like I don't know it was like glaringly obvious I thought it what? did seem very <laughs> strange yeah because like why wouldn't they think but I think, again, like for Virgil, it's like there's no other path for them to take. Like they, he oh, feels no. like pretty trapped and like this has yeah. to be it. Well, yeah, they Nathan has like Nathan can't go to federal prison. He's only 14. He's, he's a kid. Like he can't go for 10 years with these mm-hmm. adults. Well, that's just another problem with the Major Crimes Act is when they do get prosecuted, for things is they no none of these people have money for a lawyer mm-hmm. to fight any of these things or you know to try to defend themselves at all and so they get trapped just like he did I mean I would have done the same thing if it was my kid or whatever I mean yeah you, know, you literally have no choice no and you and you want your kid to be okay you know you don't want anything bad to happen to them especially because you you know that they didn't do it Mm-hmm. Uh, and Virgil knows that this is not Nathan, and Nathan wouldn't do this. So I mean, it, it, it is scary having your child be a CI in, in the middle of a heroin deal with yes. a cart with a cartel. Yes. <laughs> Which like, one thing Virgil does do is he makes sure that he's going to be at this drug cell with Dennis because he doesn't. He he wants to be there for Nathan. He and he doesn't really trust them either, which is fair. Yes. He wants to be there just in case anything happens, because he will protect Nathan at all costs. And Marie so, wants to be really involved too. Marie has yes. really. They have come. They're back together. They're back together now. And she's been uh, helping which I feel him. Like somewhat inevitable. Because, well, also, Virgil has really changed from the time that they broke up. Like, he stopped drinking. He's 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 really trying to change in general because he wants to be better. I think it's this whole thing was a giant wake-up call for him, too, because he wants to be better for Nathan. Like, he wants to be there for him. Well, and that, he case, feels like, that case where he found the frozen baby is what stopped him drinking. Because when he entered yeah. that trailer, there was... Just empty booze bottles and beer cans everywhere. And the mom was so, had like alcohol poisoning or whatever. She was so Mm -hmm. passed out. 
And he was very traumatized when he found that frozen child. And that's, that's when he stopped drinking. Yeah. And, you know, because he doesn't want to, to be that for Nathan. He doesn't want to do that. He wants to be there for him, especially since he promised his sister that he would. And so Nathan does buy the first batch of drugs and that seems to go fine. Everything seems cool. So then they have to set up the next drug buy where Nathan's going to buy like five times what he just bought and wear the wire. And so it takes like a little while for that to happen. And kind of like while that's happening in the background, this is also important, but it's tangential to the whole plot. Um, But they have this chef coming on the reservation. This is like Marie's passion um, is, you know, tribal health. And the chef comes on trying to teach about indigenous food and indigenous ways of cooking and um, foraging and things like that and all of the things that you can do. And she's like, it's pretty ensconced in this whole thing. And she's also trying to, she wrote a grant and got uh, quite a lot of money to start a program where they would bring um, buffalo meat into the reservations to add into their food monthly food packages um but they need to use this money to get like freezers so they could store this meat when it comes in and she's like done all of this groundwork on it already but it seems like the housing like food authority where she works on the reservation is really dragging their feet about it and they haven't spent any of the money that she got in this grant and they're saying that they're not going to like it's not a good idea and she keeps pushing it, especially after the chef comes on. She's really pushing it to the point where she gets fired from this job because they say she's going outside of her scope. And it, this seems very tangential, but I promise you this is important <laughs> to, <laughs> to the main story. But so that's kind of happening at the same time. They're setting up the second drug buy um, between Nathan and these different guys, both indigenous reservation people and then these Aztec king guys from Denver and so that stuff's happening with Marie they're getting ready to set up this next drug buy they set it up time and a place and it immediately the whole thing is like nerve-wracking it's the you you got like a really bad feeling even as a reader you have a really bad feeling about it because like Nathan he gets this wire but it's like a like a weird like dongle thing on his phone and there's an app to record and so he has to kind of hold his phone out in order for Dennis and Virgil to hear what they're saying and he puts the phone in his pocket I'm assuming because he didn't feel like the situation was safe and then he puts the phone in his pocket and these guys immediately take him to a second location which screams red flags (laughs) screams red flags (laughs) abort abort (laughs) yeah pretty much but it's like nathan's in this car and then naturally these fbi guys lose this red truck they lose it and they don't know where nathan is and but they're like not panicked yet because they're like we'll find him we'll find him it's all good we'll find him they don't they don't find him but virgil is panicked yeah, but Virgil is Virgil terrified because he's going like, crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, Nathan is offline, like, and he's gone. They don't know. They don't have a clue where he is. And these FBI guys don't seem all that concerned about it. Um, 
So he, you know, Virgil goes back and tells Marie what's happening. And Marie calls uh, tribal police. And the tribal police is like, you guys got to find him because usually after 48 hours, you know, once they know that Nathan was going to snitch on them, he's they're going to kill him, basically. And these Aztec King guys are, like they were describing in the book, are pretty well known for their torture techniques. And it's really not good. Yeah, these aren't like low-level local, you know, hillbilly drug dealers or anything. I mean, these mm-hmm. are, this is a cartel-like cell. Yeah. Yeah, and so and they, they torture, they, they, they make examples out of snitches, and yeah, they don't, they're not going to just beat them up. No, they mean serious business. And uh, so that gets Virgil even more concerned. And he's he's going to use all of the skills that he has being this vigilante justice guy to find Nathan. And he's trying to think of all of the different places because he also doesn't trust the FBI to find Nathan. He kind of thinks they're going to give up. But also he doesn't he knows that they don't know the land like he does or like the tribal police does. Like they don't know all of the back roads and all of the different locations like uh, like Virgil does and the tribal police does. But it's like out of the tribal police hands because the felony charge like Jody was talking about earlier. So the tribal police can't really do anything. And seemingly the FBI, they've issued a bolo for a be on the lookout. And they said they might issue an Amber Alert as well because Nathan is only 14. He is a minor. Um, But that's kind of all they do. Like, they're not, like, out there pounding the pavement looking for him. But Virgil is. Mm -hmm. And and he's going to find him. And he – so they they do find the truck and they find the phone that Nathan was given on kind of, like, the side of this dirt road. And that terrifies Virgil because he's sure that – He's something bad now. is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's in big trouble. Something really bad is happening. He could die. And so he's just like driving everywhere. He goes to this hotel and he beats up the really like racist hotel guy um, to, you know, try and get information. And the guy says, you know, that they were here last week, but they were gone. And he goes to this other place in a nearby town called Valentine where Rick Crow was seen before. It's not there either. And Marie says they're going to have, you know, Virgil's like looked all these places and Nathan is nowhere to be found. Uh, He's, he's following all the leads he can, but the leads are kind of starting to dry up. So Marie is like, you know, we're going to have this ceremony for Nathan where we can try and help locate him. And Virgil, again, he's not really, he hasn't been in tune with his, heritage for a long time and he's like mm, I don't think so I don't think that's gonna work but at this point he's desperate he's willing to try anything and you can kind of see him he's been kind of slowly coming back into his his heritage throughout the book like he goes to the sweat lodge and he's he's slowly coming back in but he doesn't it's hard for him because there's a lot of trauma there and there's a lot of negative connotations and feelings that he has but he's going to do it for Nathan because before Nathan went on this um drug buy uh, for with the wire Virgil had given Nathan this little like pouch to keep him safe that um Virgil's mom gave him it's medicine and you fill, 
yes, his medicine bag. And you fill it with all of the things that you love the most. And it's going to keep you safe. And so Virgil still has like all of the stuff that was in his medicine bag. And then Nathan has the what he gave him and filled it with his own things. And so he's, you know, thinking about that. And he's going to do, he's going to perform the ceremony and uh, find where Nathan is, hopefully. And so they do. And Virgil has like an intense connection to his ancestors during the ceremony where he sees the massacre at Wounded Knee and he sees the site where it is. And then he feels that that he has to go there because there's something there that will help him find Nathan. And before this, he, before this, yeah. though, we should mention that Marie and Virgil have broken into her office. Yes. So she was traumatized by her firing and just couldn't believe it and thought everything was so shady and there's something going on. So she breaks, has Virgil help her break into her office so she can pull up all the paperwork for the grant money and see what was really going on because she doesn't believe um, her boss because her boss is one of her bullies in school as well. And Mm -hmm. she sees that, yes, the money has been being embezzled. Yes. All of that grant money that she got for the buffalo meat has been pretty much embezzled. And and she thinks it's the indigenous chef that came on the reservation because it's most of the charges are charging him for things like, you know, uh, weddings and birthdays and like exorbitant amounts. And they find this hard proof that the lady who fired her has been embezzling money. And they think it's also the chef. After the ceremony where they're trying to find Nathan, Virgil just feel in his gut, he feels like he needs to go to Wounded Knee because there's answers there because he saw it and he needs to go. And Marie, again, refuses to not come to. (laughs) She's going (laughs) to come. Well, thank goodness she does. Thank goodness she does. But, you know, they, Virgil gets, you know, all the weapons he can. And Marie is even like, "Mm, you think you're going to need them? He's like, I don't know, but I'd rather be prepared. So he, you know, he gathers all the things that he has and they go. And lo and behold, who was there but Rick Crone self. And Virgil's really not taking no for an answer. Like he's, he's going to find Nathan come like hell or high water. Like he's going to do it. And so he tortures Rick Crow a bit. He breaks his thumbs because he, he knows that Rick Crow knows something. And he, he may, he probably knows where Nathan is and he's going to find out. And he does know where Nathan is. Um, And this is really where Virgil is really starting to connect again to his heritage and connect to his community. And he lets, he chooses mercy. And lets Rick Crow live because he could have killed him. But he lets him live because he's told him where Nathan is. And that's all he wanted, really, was to know where Nathan is. He he doesn't necessarily want vengeance anymore. And so he's leaving to go. And who comes in? Summary. It's very sad. (laughs) Ben Shortbear. Jody was right. This man is shady. (laughs) And he... And Marie's boss were the ones embezzling these funds. And Ben Shortbear is the one bringing all of these pills 
and drugs onto the reservation, not the heroin, but everything else in t- the form of medicine. Um, and uh, But these pills are op- opioids. So he, Ben is the one doing it, tribal councilman. He's, this is how they've been funding their lifestyle. This is how they sent their daughter to Dartmouth. This, this is how they've been doing it this whole time is by bringing all of these drugs onto the reservation. And he, you know, he then kills Rick in cold blood and he's going to kill Virgil too. And he's doing that very bad guy thing where they like confess all their crimes before hands. And because he's doing that, Marie comes in, hears everything that her father was saying, sees that he's going to kill Virgil too and shoots him. I mean, like seemingly by accident, like she's surprised too that it happened, but shoots, shoots her father so that Virgil can get away. And they don't really have time to process this because they immediately need to go and get Nathan. And so they do. They immediately go they, to where Nathan is. And Nathan is being tortured by these Aztec kings for being a CI for the FBI. And they found it out pretty much immediately, which well, they were really tipped, said. They were tipped off. They were tipped off, yes. But again, it was already weird. It was pretty obvious. But... In the beginning. But they were tipped off, and they were tipped off by Ben Shortbear. Ben Shortbear set this whole thing up. He set Virgil up. He set Nathan up. He he set them he all wanted, up. Because he wanted the heroin dealers to go away because they're encroaching on his pill business. Yes. And Virgil was going to take it all down. And Ben didn't want that because he needs that income. And he needs to cover up the fact that he's been embezzling funds from the reservation. Virgil is at this place. He sees Nathan. And he's like just she just charges right in there to save him. Sadly, Virgil is a terrible shot. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't hit anybody. Uh, and then he's like out of bullets, right? But he, he has this cattle prod there, and he uses that as a weapon. And he he's gonna defend Nathan to the death, and he gets shot self and almost dies. But he saves Nathan. Nathan's okay. Yay. And yay. I know. And, I was very Nathan, concerned there for a while. I was very concerned. I was really concerned too because, like, <laughs> I was like, literally, Nathan better every, not die. <laughs> every shot Virgil took missed. Every single one. Well, he got that one guy. Remember, he handed over his gun so they'd think he was giving up. And then he had that other gun. And he, I think he shot one of them. I think he got one out of the one. three. Well, <laughs> It was really dicey and it was very worrisome because I mean, at this point, you're so attached to them. You're like, oh, no, we've well, yeah, come so they, far. Had, they had all kinds of torture weapons out. They had a blowtorch with the flame going, mm-hmm. that big cattle prod. They had all kinds of torture devices laying around. Yes. And when he got there, Nathan was already pretty hurt. Yeah. Um, several burns. And, you know, his face yeah. was bruised and swollen. Yeah, he was really hurt. Um, but they they are they're okay. They're all okay. They make it yeah. out. They get Oof. yes. It's um, very tense. <laughs> it was very tense. It was very tense. But they all made it out okay. They they're okay and they're recuperating in the hospital. Um, all of the stuff came out about Ben Shortbear and his embezzlement of funds and I mean it's a myriad of crimes, including bringing all these pills on the reservation uh, that. 
uh, Marie's mom sleeve. She didn't really want to be there in the first place. She wasn't a super nice lady, but yeah, she felt like she, she was too good for the reservation. For, mm-hmm. So she flees, <sighs> and Marie is grappling with everything that happened and shooting her own dad. That she kind of like escapes for a week to kind of like reassess and be. We also didn't mention, but. Marie does want to be a doctor and she got accepted into this medical school in New Mexico and she got a scholarship. But in order to do that, she would have to live in New Mexico for five years after she gets her degree, which is not really something she wants to do. She, I mean, the whole purpose of her getting the degree was to help the, you know, for people. And she does. So she's been, that's been up in the air too. Um, Also she and Virgil are back together and that would just cause, a lot of strain and and she doesn't know if she wants to do that and then after all of this happens kind of like everything has changed for Marie so she goes and has to kind of reassess about what she wants to do and she decides that she doesn't want to be a doctor at all now her passion is cooking and trying to bring health to the reservation in that way instead of uh, in a medical degree. And it's like, it's pretty sweet at the end, actually, where they have this big ceremony for Nathan and for Virgil, because they're going to get their Lakota names. And they're bringing all this stuff. And like this whole community is coming together for these two, these two guys who, you know, felt like they were such outsiders but are now like complete, you know, this whole community is in mesh together again, kind of in harmony. And it was, just, it was really sweet. It made me cry a little. It was so no, sweet. it was. And he's found, he's starting to come back. He's coming back around to his, his native roots and the traditions and mm-hmm. see how important they are. Yeah. And, nice. and yeah, it was. And I think, not only is it important to him, but he really wants Nathan to grow up with this sense of community. He he re- kind of realizes that he's put Nathan somewhat at a disadvantage by being such an outsider and in turn making Nathan such an outsider that he really wants to not to have that for Nathan. Like he wants Nathan to have a strong sense of community. So he feels like he's got friends, like he has people because Nathan has been feeling so alone. And Nathan does, like he switches schools he gets a lovely girlfriend named Shauna, who they met a little bit earlier, and they're super cute together. They run cross country. They talk about like strategies for running. They're very cute, and you just see him. He's really blossoming. Like Nathan is really like growing into his own as they come closer into this community, really showcasing you know Lakota beliefs and traditions, and that how much they help this community feel whole and not alone that they're all together and then at the very end Virgil is kind of presented with his old life a little bit um this woman approaches him asking him to take this case and that's where the book ends we don't know if he took it or not yeah because this whole during this during this whole time he's really just stopped the whole private enforcer Mm -hmm. gigs that he was doing and he even took some like regular construction day labor jobs and Mm -hmm. all this you know in an effort to be more of a you know role model and presence in Nathan's life and now that he's back together with Marie and to just stop you know the violence and so when he's presented the thing at the end you can tell he's should I do it 
Yeah. He's very on the fence about it. I could could do do it. it. Should I do it? Um, But he's on the fence about it. So, I mean, we really hope that there is a book two. Like, this can be a series. uh, Because I would love to see all of these characters again. And see, you know, kind of where they are in their lives. Um, And see, you know, what Virgil chose. Did he choose to take the job or not? Is, you know, perhaps, I don't know, maybe, who knows what he'll do. But I guess it's, you know, it's up to you to decide what you think, what you think he might do, where you think he might go. I think he'll do it. You think he will? I think he'll do it. Mm -hmm. I think he won't be able to stop himself because he's so, he's just like such a protector. That's fair. He really is. And in, in this case, is more of a protection thing. It, it, it's not necessarily like a strict vigilante justice. It, it's a little bit different. Yeah, I think he feels like it's his job and maybe how he can, you know, help be more part of his community by stepping in where the law fails. Yes. By protecting his people when he can. Mm-hmm. So I think he will take the job. I think I think he probably will too. I think you know that's where he's finding his purpose, and I think that he's going to take different jobs than he used to. But I mean, we'll see. I mean, he yeah. was a pretty good investigator. He sure was. <laughs> he he found out a lot of things that the FBI and the tribal police were not able to. That was Winter Count. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And we hope you join us next month where we are going to read um, a book called Give Me Your Hand by Megan Abbott. That is a um, about an unlikely friendship that's described as magnetic and psychological. So <laughs> we'll find time. out. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you join us then. We are now offering Chromebooks and hotspots, including charging cables, for checkout. All kits come with an easy-to-carry bag and are available at your nearest SSJ CPL branch. Check for availability by calling 209-937-8221 or check out the online catalog at ssjcpl.org. To stay up to date with library news, follow us at SSJCPL on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or visit our website at SSJCPL.org.